0: It's Ty Power's Bigfooty Final Sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Bigfooty Final Sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.
1: It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood catching you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Morning Redman. Good
0: morning Patrick. We've promised over the last few weeks of a a Snapper show and uh, you made the big call. You made the big call last week and announced it that we'll be talking all things Snapper and... uh, I think you've got a few other things in front of you that you want to get to first, but don't go anywhere. We'll be talking all things snapper.
1: We will be. Uh, Before we get into that, a little bit of uh, 4x4 news. The next-gen Mitsubishi Triton's Eco Warrior Mm. uh, won't be fully electric, but it will be a plug-in hybrid of sorts, and that is aimed at sort of tackling Hilux, the Ford Ranger. Uh, So they're, they're viewing it as being... Fully electrified, um, sort of 2030 onwards, but before then that hybrid sort of setup, which makes sense. And particularly for Australia, like we're seeing so many in so many different places around the world. Like I think it was um, Rolls Royce during the week announced their newest Rolls Royce Spectre, um, and that's their first fully electrified model. And every Rolls Royce from 2030 onwards. Is going to be electrified. It is different for us here in Australia though. We just don't have that same infrastructure
0: set up for the, the charging stations, do we? No. Because no one uses them <laughs> I went down at Safeway The other week Near my joint And I still don't think I've seen anyone park In the electric The places See so if you get If you like, get one You've always got a car park like you, well, I was just I was
1: about to say that You literally You park Wherever you want Because Maybe I want, You just need to write Like electric car In the back of your car And then use it as Just that. use it
0: anyway yeah. I park there all the time No one parks there And you can't get a park out there And so I park there Uh I, yeah, I, I'm, you know, me and, and electrification on things. It's going to be interesting to see how it works. I did read a poster in the week that said it's going to be very, it's a bit weird that having a battery, fuel, and ignition all sitting next to each other is a little bit scary, but <laughs> in electrified cars. But yeah, I don't know. How's it going to go, Pat? In all honesty, i I'm, I was, uh, I follow, um, I don't know.
1: there's a family on YouTube, uh, and their YouTube channel is Sailing La Vagabond. And, They've been sailing. They took off like well over a decade ago. They've they've since had kids, all whilst sailing around the world. And they what re- could go wrong? <laughs> they kids on the water. Good lord. Um, so they they reviewed during the week a an all electric sailboat, the Silent yeah, right. Fifty Five. It is three and a half million euro or three point four million euro, and cheap. It's surprisingly quick if the sun's out. <laughs> it just becomes it just oh, it, the generator then powers the engines if not, was, which is
0: essentially just a motorboat. I was speaking to a gentleman at the boat show during the week, and he said to me, "We're we're now going to import these. We're going to get these imported electric jet skis that are coming in, and the government's going to support us in this. We're getting grants, blah blah blah." And I'm thinking to myself, electric jet ski. And there's only a few things that can go wrong here. The amount of power that jet skis have off oh. the mark with a petrol <laughs> being petrol, with petrol is. Let- Frightening. Frightening. The second thing you go wrong is, well, that, this is in the first thing. You press go on an electric as direct power, you're going to fall off and die anyway because it's going to throw you backwards. And then number two is Actually, you're, you're uh, only, only going to go 20 metres because you're going to be out of battery because they use so much power. <laughs> I, I, that, that is fascinating
1: when it comes yep. to jet skis and electric power because oh, imagine that. Boom, jet skis just just are amazing. Instant, like. they, they fly. But I couldn't imagine what it would be like if it's electrified.
0: And just the amount – I'm just picturing holding on like instant. Like it's instant. There's no – petrol has to burn. It's it's instant. And you you think about how much pull is in, in say, a 300-horsepower supercharged bloody cedar or whatever it is. You think about holding on to that and how much force goes into you to push you back. Well, we saw that. Oh,
1: God. I forget the name of the boat now. This is – Unprofessional of all, but the hydrogen powered—I uh, think it was a Mercury, or was it Yamaha? Perhaps at the boat show, you because were, you were—I t- was
0: joking. He was cleaning the bottom of his boat out. No, no, there's actually there, oh, there, there was wa- a hydrogen he, that wasn't, was it? No, no, no there's the... a hydrogen powered boat there. Oh, was there? Yeah. I didn't see it. What's <laughs> the name of the manufacturer? Uh, iron Man. <laughs> no, there was a boat. No, I'm not joking. You iron boats was the. Was the iron boats? Was the boat across from us and down? That was right. Iron boats. Well, that was I'm going different... to Google that. while you're going into the next topic there, Patrick? Because uh, iron boats. Let's now you, you can't because we'll, we've got to be professional on air. So
1: we promised uh, last week's show that we would be talking about the snapper season and from the gear, the times, the tides, and everything in between that would be going through it all. Yep. And, and we are chasing. We are chatting to. To Paul Flett a little later in the show, and we're really excited about this. Paul's from Staby Craft. He's part of their design team, eleven strong. And if there's a brand that's been um, so uh, proactive around the uh, R and D when it comes to their boats and continued new models, you know, no one reinvents their boats more often than what Staby Craft do. So we're really looking forward to chatting uh, to Paul a little later um, in the show. But to kick things, oh, there you've got it.
0: I do. First time on Australian Waters last week. Australian exclusive, the Iron Boat. And they were at the boat show. Swedish. Yep, Swedish boat. I uh, just found it. Google's great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Back to the staffer. Can can I realign it? Let's start at the gear. Yes. Yes, good question. And I want entry level and that middle range. So we're looking at sort of anything above... Two and a half thousand. Ideally, sort of four thousand size reels. Four to six
0: thousand. Yep. Keep it simple. Four to six thousand. I like to use Stratics. You can get away with anything. Anything cheap. You can get away with the uh, new Sedonas. You can get away with uh, the new. uh, So
1: when we're talking cheap, yeah, for a combo, are we looking at? For something reasonable, you
0: probably a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, something reasonable that's going to hand hold hold off you for maybe one one to three seasons, yep. depending on how much you fish. So I would be spending, say, for example, a hundred dollars, maybe hundred to hundred and fifty dollars on a reel, uh, and I'd probably be spending roughly that, maybe like, depending on you don't need much as a snapper. The Atomic arrows in the Froglies range is great. I use a lot of those, and they're hundred and thirty dollars. Yep. Uh, so they're quite cheap, uh, and they're really good. They're a, they're. A, uh, a graphite rod that works really light in the hand, and they've got a nice bend to them in that 15 to 25 size range. So, you don't need to spend a lot of money. I don't think. Does, it, does the gear depend on how you're going to fish
1: with the rods themselves? I mean, as in rod in hand, if you prefer that, or if you're going to set them up on snapper racks and what's the best rod for yeah. setting rods up on snapper racks? Because that's how you like to, because of the, the. Set your spread. Yeah, the amount of rods you
0: use. So setting it up correctly. I run five to six rods every single time I fish for snapper in the bay. Uh, in the ocean, I sort of run about four. Is, is that because you want the... Variety of baits. Yeah. Yeah, it's a variety of baits that I'm running. So uh, I like to start with, and I, and I spoke at the boat show last week, specifically snapper talk, and I just starting from scratch, so we'll do it now. And I start with six rods out, two baits of, as a starting point. Yes. So I'm talking calamari for one. So two baits, two baits as calamari, two for silver whiting, and two for pilchards. So what I like to do is set one with a small pea sinker, and I think the biggest key in snapper fishing right now, or the most the people that have success in snapper fishing in the past, I should say, but even going forward, is running near to no sinkers. Yes, as light as possible. I'm talking size zero one to two ball sinker. And are it- you talking
1: decent size snapper captures, or any yeah, snort or sort I'm of talking
0: three fishing. to sort of, three plus kilo, like yep. proper snapper fishing, like yep. good fish, five, six, eight. You're not interested
1: fish. in sending something down with half kilo sinker and then catching something that's well, 20, 28 centimetres long.
0: That's right, and not only just that, like it's, you will, so how how I set up, like I said, I'll go, my six rods out the back, two of each baits. that's my starting point. I would love to put a salmon out at some point or a trevally fillet or a yakka. I do like to put them out, yep. but I also like to have tuna fishing's Oh, it's a craze now. It's massive. And everyone has outrigger arms out the side of their boats. And I like to get them away from the snapper rods at the back. And these are still snapper rods, but I just have a normal pattern Oster rig with a size three sinker on it. And it has a big squid ring on it. And I just leave it there or a big squid head. And that does catch fish too, but I find it catches more fish in the deeper water. So you're talking sort of that 12 to 20 meters rather than that, say, as an example, 15 and below. So anything above 12, you start to go, all right, I'm going to put one of those Bottom rig's out now. so And where's that sitting in the water On column? the bottom. Hit the bottom and flip it over. Bouncing. Yep. Leave yep. it on the bottom. Yep, leave it on the bottom. It does catch fish. But one, the reason going back to my bait spread, what I'd like to, like to give you an example with is, say, I start with those three traditional baits. Your squid, your silver white, and your pilchards. Whichever one's favouring for that time of the year, or that day, for instance, I will then favour. So what I mean by that is... And you can get those off fishing reports, or yes, if you're out the oh, previous week, or if see- mates have been out, put some effort into actually bit of R and R&D yep. around what's working. If you catch, say, your first three fish on squid, don't put a pilchard on that hook that you just took the squid off. It'd be, it'd be stupid. Yep. <laughs> oh, what I'd do is actually take maybe a pilchard off a rod and add an, add an, add one, only have one pilchard out there and run an extra squid rod if you want to catch more fish yes. because that's what they're focusing on. And you might have the day where you'll get far, half your fish on silver whiting, half on squid, but none on pilchards. I will literally take the pilchards out of the water and run the ones that are working because they're working. And you yep. might yes, yep. you might get two fish on pilchards, but they're working better. So you've got more of a chance, and I'm putting the odds in my favour. So, that, so, so so far we've covered the rods, the reel, and the spread of baits. Now, the important factor that I – now, this without being too arrogant, I catch a lot of fish, but I fish very efficiently. And what I mean by that is I only, it's a job for me, Pat. So I need to catch fish to make money. And the best way that I like to explain it is I only go fishing – when I'm going to catch fish. Yep. I put all the odds in my favour. So what are those odds? Yeah, so give you an example right now. If we're, for instance, going, you say to me, hey, Aaron, I want to go fishing uh, on Monday. i got the day off. Can we go fishing? I want to catch a snapper. And I will literally say to you, I'll look at my phone, I'll jump on there, I'll look at the wind, I'll look at what's going on, and I'll say to you, no, nah, we're not doing it. And you'll go, why? And I'll be like, because you know, the chances of catching a fish is so low. But the swells up in the ocean... We've got a beautiful flood tide. On the start of the outgoing tide, the water will clear up. Why don't we do a whiting and a squid? Yep. So, we're putting the factors and the elements in, on our side. Yep. So, it might, and, and the reasons, I'll give you an example of why I wouldn't have fished on that example I gave you was say it's a light northerly wind in Port Phillip Bay. It's glass calm for a few days. It's a light northerly wind. It's beautiful. The barometer's down. It's, you're on a full moon. It's fishing crap. I don't want to go out and hopefully catch one or two fish. Don't get me wrong; I could yep. be very lucky. Best chance to get. I'm as putting. Good a, a catch up. Yeah, that's right, and that's where the charter boats are different. They go out every day and they yep. keep fishing, they keep working, and that's not to say you won't get fish. Hundred percent, but I'm putting everything on my side. So for me, like I said, it's about catching fish. So I know. Hold on. am I going to waste my morning and get up at three o'clock in the morning to go catch a snapper today? When I can oh, well, maybe I can get up at 9 o'clock. I've got a beautiful flood tide with that swell. Yeah. I'm going to catch whiting. And that's the that's the same with snapper. So it also comes down to where you're fishing. So I'll get people that live at Mount Martha, for instance, or they might, which is one side of Port Phillip Bay, for those that aren't familiar. And they'll say to me, I'm going out of Mount Martha right now to catch a snapper on the weekend. Where should I go? And I'll say to them, well, oh, look, mate, I wouldn't be going there. Well, no, I live there, and that's where I fish. Okay, that's fine. I'm happy for you to go fishing, but the chances you're going to have catching a fish... Instead of going to Mount Martha, it's going to be a beautiful day, why don't you spend the extra 20 minutes and push up further up the bay to where that water temperature right now is warmer? and you'll have a chance of catching fish. Rather than just going straight out of Mount Martha in your water... Which waters, is what you're you know. looking for at the moment, aren't you? Yes, like the water temperature. Water. I'm yep. following that warm water, and that's what I spoke about at the boat show. I had the maps up of where the patterns of fish tend to follow the bay. So you've got Clifton Springs, and right up to Altona, Black Rock, in the shallows, and off Carrum, and they push out further into that 20, then they go down to Mount Martha. It's like a big pattern that the fish make, yep. and we can follow them if we fish smart. But I believe in actually spending the time in travelling to your destination rather than catching stuff all for five hours in a day, I think it's so much more beneficial, if that makes sense.
1: We're talking about snapper and the go-to-way, the gear, the times, the tides, and everything yep. in between. Let's talk line size. So we've spoken about you know your fourth to 6,000 reels um, and what yep. you're matching those with. What about line size? How much of a difference does that make? So
0: to keep it simple, I'm running 20-pound brake. That's what I like to use a snapper twenty to thirty pound braid, but I think most mine have got twenty these days. You will get away with thirty, no worries as well. Uh, you can use forty pound leader. I use that all season. Yep. I don't change it. I buy a heap of forty pound, and I' he- easier to it. tie than anything that gets bigger. Yeah, easier to tie. You're not going to get bit off early season with their sharp teeth. And I'm right. I'm using size six hooks, so six o circle hooks or six o straight hooks. Deeper I go, I tend to use straight. Shallower, I tend to use circles. Pretty pretty simple there, uh, but with your snapper as well, you got to make sure that you're fishing, you're following other patterns as well. And it's not just specifically on the day of, like I said, water temperature. It was what I said before. It's about wind and onshore. And I'm going to mention this as a land-based fisher. Some great reports at Mornington during the week when we had that massive westerly wind. Some beautiful fish were caught off the Mornington pier. So the westerly wind blew into the pier. The people that have got a bigger balls than I do are fishing at the end of the pier in that wind, and they're catching fish yeah. because it pushes the fish into that area. So when you're on the boat or if you're land-based, pick your elements that also, your weather conditions, that are going to assist you in that aspect too. So your water temperature is one, but also where's that water going to be dirty? The fish love washed up water. Uh, they love it. They love yeah. washed up beachy water, sandy water. They love it so much. So getting into those It's areas, those crustaceans. Yep.
1: Um, and they, you know, that, that everything trigger, going. triggers the food yeah, chain. hundred percent. Yep.
0: And they're not timid; they'll fish in the dirty water because they can't see them. They can't see you. So it, there's so many ways to fish snapper. We can speak about it all day. We haven't got a heap amount of time today, no, but, we'll, but there's we've plenty got some... info on Salt Guide too.
1: Yeah, absolutely on Salt Guide. And we've got a few questions in our social club yep. a little later on. Uh, huge show of real adventures coming your way this morning. Paul Flett from Staby Craft joins us. He's part of. Uh, their design team. It's a fascinating chat. It's from a few weeks back uh, at the Melbourne Boat Show where we bailed him up. And We said, "Paul, we, we need to get." He was know. on
0: holidays with his wife.
1: He was, and he uh, I think he had any excuse to come and see some boats. But it was great to to pin him down. So we've got a great chat. We'll uh, we'll play for you this morning. This is Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. It's time for The Social Club. We take your questions from social media. Uh, There's been plenty uh, flowing thick and fast since the boat show, a lot boated related. But head to our Real Adventures socials on Facebook and Instagram or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. Just simply send us a direct message on those channels and we'll do our very best to get back to you.
0: Before you ask the first question, I know it's snapper-based today, a fair few of the questions. I just want to talk about one thing that I didn't get to say at the start of the show is so many people go, how long do you anchor on snapper for? Well, I was going to... I actually forgot to ask you. Yeah. Or do you anchor? Yeah, so this is the most important aspect in port Bay is anchoring. So you anchor for your fish. Everyone does. It works the best. You can drift for them, but it doesn't work nowhere near as good. Yep. Very crucial to fish for these fish very actively in my opinion and how I do it and I'm only telling you how I do it you, yep. you, there's so many people that do things differently and I have, I have great success doing what I do so if you want to give it a go give it a go how I fish for them is very similar to how I fish for whiting I'm so active yep. but you need to be mindful of what I like to refer to as bite times so sunrise sunset and also tide changes. So what I mean by that is if you and I say heading out today at 2 o'clock, we're going for a snapper at 2 o'clock today, we have got a tide change at, say, 5.30, darks at, say, 6.30 to give you a, a time span. Yes. I'm sure. not going to drop the anchor at 2.30 after sounding fish and go, all right, Patrick, let's just sit here for the rest of the day, throw a few pillies out in the water, and let's see if anything bites. We've got a tide change in three hours' time and a dark at four hours' time. Yep. I'm not going to sit there and do that. <laughs> Crack open. Actually, you know what? I just changed my mind now you've opened one. <laughs> Maybe we will be doing this. And I can see why people do do that because it is relaxing and it is a nice way to fish. Relaxing, kicking back, hoping. I don't fish like that. The beer's away, Patrick. The beer's away. The water yep. bottles are out on the bait board and we're away here. And what we're going to do is we chuck the sounder on and we head out. Yep. Bang. I head out. I sound up. Beautiful bang. I've marked up these beautiful fish. Drop the anchor on them. First Before you hit that, so you've, you've sounded up the fish, are you finding the structure first and yeah, then moving away? Depending where the fish are. If the fish yes. are on the mud, sounds dumb. If the fish are on the mud, I'm doing a lot of work on the mud trying to find those fish holding the bottom. Yep. If they're on the structure, they're going to be there. And it's just a matter of getting them to bite. And this is why I only give them short bite times. So I'm talking 2 o'clock, we get there. Bang, I put the sounder in. I mark fish up at 10 past 2. I put the anchor in. First spread of rods. Why haven't I got a fish? All right, I'm getting annoyed. Yep. Bring him in. Boys, let's go start again. Second spread. No fish. All right, do you want to do one more or are we going to move? 15 minutes has gone by. Yep. I'm moving. I'm pretty much moving. Anchor, bang. I will yep. sound over that same spot again roughly where those fish were and see if they're there. If they're there again, righto, that's in the memory bank. I know they're there. But Let, they're for whatever reason, for whatever reason they might be where I come back to on yes. that tide change yes. or that sunset time. I'm going looking again. So once again, off I go. Sound again. Sounding around. Let's find fish. Might be three kilometres away. I might burn to another mark. All right, let's try here. I sound them up. Bang, let's drop them in again. If I don't get them again, I'll move. But I'll always make sure that they're in my memory bank of where they were because there's fish there, they might be back there. Yep. And if I can't find anything to bite in between from that 2 o'clock to that tide change that I mentioned before, say at 4.30, 4 o'clock, whatever I said, 5 o'clock, I'll make sure that I'm there 45 minutes to an hour before that tide change and I will wait for that bite time. I will wait. I'll make sure when there's a tide change or a sunset coming that I'm set up and equipped, ready for that because that's when the fish might will be at their best chance of feeding. But in the meantime, in those hours before and after, I'm as active as it gets, I'm moving like I am whiting, and I'm trying to create action rather than just sitting there, <coughs> cracking a beer open, and eating a hot dog out of the thermos. So that's what I like and how I like to approach my snapper fishing, on the sounder aspect and the anchor and how long for.
1: All our questions this morning are very much directed towards snapper fishing. The first one is from Jay. Straight hook, Aaron, or circle hook, what
0: do you prefer? I've always been a circle hook sort of person, and... Just last season, I just had my, had better hookups with the straights. I really did. I really did. The Gamagatsu is what I've been using. I found the deeper I was, the circles didn't go in as good. Uh, I don't know why. I got no idea. It was only the first season. This season may be different. But anything under fifteen meters, I was running circles. Anything that fifteen above, I was I was changing to J's, just straight octopus. Now the way that you
1: set up your boat, you obviously have the snapper axe out, and you have the spread of rods set up the way that you do. Now, it's one thing when you've got the circle hooks and the fish will hook themselves, and the idea is to let it run a bit so they hook themselves versus striking. Is that different when you're using straight hooks? How do you fish compared to
0: the circles? With the way we fish in Port Phillip, with a lot of slack water, slack line, because we're fishing unweighted, so you have a lot of water line in the water as it is, and it gets picked up, and I think it's enough time for the circles to do their thing, and you just lift them up, put a bit of weight into it. Pretty similar but you're not J's. trying to just nah. like this, this is not nah. game fishing where you nah. just and I'm, I'm this very similar with the J hooks too. I just yeah. I just put the weight, let the drag. You have got to remember that. Just to give you an example, say we run a one and a half kilo of drag for snapper on average in Port Phillip Bay. Some might run more, some might run less. One and a half kilo. No matter how hard you pull back on that rod, if you pull harder back than one and a half kilo, your drag's going to come out anyway. Yeah. So your drag set to set the hook, whether it's a marlin, which whether it's a barrel. Whatever your drag set at, it's to set the hook. So don't think, by all means, if your rod's screaming off in a rod holder and the fish is on it and the drag's pulling out, by you ripping your rod back 100 mile an hour and the drag pulling out again hasn't added any it's excess not, pressure. Yeah. All, so all it's if,
1: doing is giving you a greater chance of, of losing just fish. Just dragging
0: the fish back and yep. if it stops running. You could jag it one way and pull that hook out. So yep. there's one and a half kilos of drag pressure is, is what you're running at. Maybe two kilo if you bit like me and want to get him in a hurry. But, yeah, that, that's the best way I can explain that. This is a good
1: question, this next one, because we get it a lot. Uh, Dean, does fishing at night make any difference, Aaron? When I look through the fishing magazines, the biggest snapper always tend to be caught at night.
0: I gave a great example during the week, and uh, I thought this was a terrific example. You might like this. I uh, had a photo of a full moon that come up in my PowerPoint presentation at the boat show last week or week before, whenever it was. And it was a photo of a full moon, and people, and I said to him. I get along with my missus more than I do the full moon. <laughs> Me and the full moon don't get along at all. It's You might think I'm going off track here, but I'm not. So the full moon back, is a, very hard to fish. And the reason it's hard to fish is to do with tidal factors. And there's a reason that commercial fishers catch a lot of fish uh, during the night on full moons. And that's why people, I think, think that full moons is a great time to fish. But the reason that they catch a lot of fish at night is because the tides are better at night. And if you are going to chase a snapper, I would chase them at night time on a full moon because your tides are better and it's your best chance of catching fish afternoon into the night. I love sleep. You won't see me out there. I love sleep. I like fishing the other way and fishing in the afternoons into dark uh, on a full moon. But that's the reason. So full moons very hard to fish in the normal hours. So I'll call it normal hours, not your silly hours. So make sure that if you are chasing, you want to catch a big snapper overnight. Full moon is your best chance in doing so. And, uh, yeah, like I said, if you, if, uh, it's very hard to fish overnight, hard to see. You can get different lights now that actually – I want to do a review in a few weeks, Pat. They go on the back of your boat and they glue – I saw them on the north bank at um, Melbourne Marine. They glare and they're actually on the outside of your boat and they look at your rod tips from below. Ah, so nice. Don't shine into the water. Terrific. Yeah. But fishing at night can be hard, but something like that is good and I'm going to find the name of it and review it in a few weeks' time. Uh, next one's from GT. Uh how
1: important is fresh bait for catching snapper? Not that important. They're scavengers. So you spoke about I like. uh, off the top of the show, silver whiting. Yep. You love to get some salmon. You've obviously got squid, pilchers. Yep. Will you use cockles if you're in South Australia or pippies if you're in Victoria?
0: Like, no. Are you going to that level of I would you know, be, what are the fish biting? I would be using fresh bait but more not so much fresh, just well-presented bait. Gotcha. So my squid, for instance, I've been loading up on squid for the snapper season and I'll I need to catch 100 to get me through the season for the freezer. Mrs. gets angry because she loves eating it. It's a very, very sensitive, sensitive sensitive, sensitive topic in our house. And, uh, but there's an irony to that because a, you don't enjoy eating snapper. Yet you're using calamari, which you enjoy. And I love eating calamari. <laughs> what an idiot. Um, I, so when you present your baits, so those calamari I might have caught eight weeks ago, It's is that relatively, you want to call that fresh? Or do you catch on the? I don't know. It's up to you what you call fresh. I think it's fresh, but it's well presented. i up will, good.
1: I was going to say, you will cryovac yeah, your I, bait. I
0: cryovac certain baits. Yep. So the squid I just bag up, the silver whiting I cryovac. Yep. So the silver whiting, I buy them in bulk, I cryovac them. And just look at the bait in the servo. They work well, but the guts will fall out. So mine aren't fresh. They'll be like 10, 12, 15 weeks old by the time I use them. They're not on the day. So it depends what you classify as fresh bait. Like I said, well-presented baits. They're looked after. My pilchards, I don't look at them and they're all half orange and etc. and rubbish and crap i like to get good pillies that i bought in bulk the other day i spoke about it on a previous show i bagged them up in kilo bags and they presented present very very well they fall through the water but it's not so much present very well like the look, looks of it it's actually the way you can bait them up so yep. it's actually allowing you to bait them up without pulling the soft spots on the bait etc so uh baits very important present presentation I think is the biggest aspect of it. That wraps the social club. If you want to join in the
1: conversation, then make sure you send us a direct message on any of our social channels, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, or our real adventures app. After the break, we're catching up with Paul Flett from Stadycraft. It's a fascinating chat. We, uh, pinned him down at the boat show and was speaking about the development that goes into Stabycraft. They've got a few new uh, updates to their models, which we're not sure whether he was allowed to speak about, but we grilled him and we got some great little juicy details. That's coming up after the break. This is Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for All Aboard for Dometic's new drinkware. Brand new colours now available. Now, we are at the Melbourne Boat Show for our guests over the next month, Redmond, and we've just literally poached Paul Flett, who is the design manager and adventure engineer at Staby Craft Marine. Now, it's a bit of a mouthful, Paul, but we've pinched you off the stand. You, You were reticent to come and talk, but thank you for your time this morning.
2: Uh, thanks, Patty. You certainly collared me. Uh, we didn't give that. him a choice. No, Aaron.
1: no. I like you. I'm actually pretty impressed with your work today, Pat. It's about time you pulled your weight here. Um, you've done well. But the reason that I was super keen to get you on, Paul, because boating for 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 so long, um, manufacturing hasn't changed a huge amount in terms of design. But the outlier to that design change has been staby be craft, where the changes have been. Um, hugely evident and, and almost yearly for, for plenty of your models, which is certainly different to the vast majority of other manufacturers. Tell us about your role at Stadycraft and, and how you um, you joined the company.
2: Yeah, right. Thanks, um, Patty. Thanks, uh, Aaron, for having me on. Um, yeah, so obviously, I uh, live in New Zealand in the uh, bottom of the South Island. Uh, originally from Auckland, so I'm uh, actually a city slicker at heart, <laughs> much to the the uh, much to the, my colleagues uh, ripping me about it. But um, yeah, I joined the company just on a year ago. Um, my original background is um, uh, mechanical engineering and um, actually sailboats, America's Cup yachts, things like that. I'm not sure if you're familiar. There's a great doco ad at the moment on Netflix about yep. Australia 2 and, yep. and their triumphant that 83, 83, was that 83? 83. Yeah, yeah in, um, in Newport, Rhode Island. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, I grew up, I was born in 81, and uh, so i real familiar with uh, all the yachting, not that this is about yachting, but uh, yeah, real familiar with all of the yachting exploits of Australia. That's really what got New Zealand into it and got my, I grew up sailing around boats in Auckland. It's a, it's a boating mecca, what, what we have there. And so that was where I sort of cut my teeth in, in sailboats, and then this opportunity came up, um, obviously it's been a tough couple of years in New Zealand with COVID things and like that and so the wife and I took the opportunity to have a, have a change and do something different and apply my skills somewhere else so yeah we moved, moved to the deep south and um, yeah to, to loop back to where you came from, yeah Craft is um, pretty synonymous with you know doing things differently. Uh, the business has been around for 35 years now um, and still owned by the original founder Paul Adams um, and he, he will say that nothing stands still and so we don't stand still. We have a 11 strong design team in house at Stabicraft at the factory in Invercargill um, and uh, a total staff on site of around 160 people building boats so and exporting right around the world yeah we export almost I think sort of 50% goes offshore between Australia the America uh, some of the Pacific Islands and Europe um, yeah so yeah
1: so the similarities between building a performance sailboat versus a fishing boat there's, there's certainly still an element of performance because you're trying to build something that it is multi-purpose in a sense that you've got to be able to fish from it it's got to be functional but it still has to uh, be as efficient as possible in terms of how it it carries itself along the water. How's that transition been from full performance to the balance between fishability and functionality?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, sailboats are the same. It's uh, always a compromise with, uh, you know, between performance and, you know, how it behaves in the sea state and and fishing boats or power boats are no different. Um, And something that Stavy's always been well known for is its performance in rough water, big sea, and so um, that's no different. A sailboat still floats, fishing boats still float. We have a, a power from an outboard on, a, on our boats, but you know, on a sailboat it's a mast and sails, but essentially the physics are all the same. Um, we go a little bit faster on power boats, which is nicer, um, and... Yeah, it's it's not that different, and it's not just me. You know, I'm part part of it. I lead a team of eleven, and we all have different skill sets in the in our team. You know, some are, come from a design background, some from an engineering background, some from a physics background. So you know, we're a multifaceted, multi-talented team, that, and everyone contributes to the whole design of the boat.
1: Just while we're on that, what about the element of so? There's the construction, um, but then you've got to make it work for fishermen. So how much input does not the average fisherman, but obviously there's some, some very familiar boaties um, at Craft that aren't necessarily engineers, but it's this needs to work and then it's your job to obviously try and facilitate that and, and design a boat that, um, that will work with you know the wish, wish list of, of fishermen um, at Stadycraft. Craft.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we can't make everyone happy, but we try to. Because <laughs> um, there's no such thing as a perfect boat. But that's, no. <laughs> that's obviously the aim. You're always trying to build a better mousetrap. We're always trying to make it better. Um, we, Yeah, we, we're we really lucky. Um, we have a, a network of ambassadors that we we work with, like Aaron and the salt guide guys and We've got a couple in New Zealand, a few in New Zealand, and a few in the U.S. And we find between all of our markets and the different types of fishing that our customers are doing that they all have slightly different demands. And so we we try to make our boats configurable to suit the type of fishing that our customer wants to do. And but the underlying platform of the boat or the hull and the and the pontoon structure is is there. It's about safety. It's about getting you home. It's about that big sea performance. That's really what it is, and then we can tailor the boat to the fishing type that people are trying to do. Um, yeah. can, can I ask how much effort,
0: and I guess time, goes into planning to be ahead of the game? So you need to be ahead. So how far ahead are you guys on your next boat release? So is it like two years? Are you two models already in advance? It's like when people like, talk about iPhones, like are we getting yeah, the like iPhone is, that is, was <laughs> built five years that's ago? That's right. So yeah. how does it work? So like are you that far ahead? Because I know there's a few who won't. Name them too much, but copyright's coming out, Patrick, at the minute. And you're trying to stay ahead of the game and you're trying to be the best there is, especially in that aluminium range where your market is. Yep. How far ahead are you guys in the planning process or your design team to stay ahead of everyone?
2: It's like it's like you've been uh, reading my head. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, without giving it all away, uh, we work on a seven-year cycle for a boat. Yep. Um, so it, it, we say it has a seven-year life cycle. Yep. Um, so from when it goes into production to when it will get... A wholesale update that you won't recognise it, other than that it fundamentally does what the old boat does, but improves it, yep. looks better. All of those things. As a seven-year cycle, within that seven-year cycle, the boat will get a facelift, sort of halfway through that, and that, and each year we review how well things are selling, what the feedbacks are from our end users to make sure that our boats are relevant and that we're always progressing it. And then, so if you imagine across our model range, I think we've got sort of 12 sort of models at the moment in production, so there's multiple boats being developed at any one time within the design office and and, and going through the factory, pre-production, um, testing, all of those things, are, it's just endless, it yeah. just never stops and um, we have a, a pretty serious winter in the deep south and we have a summer <laughs> yeah. where we try and do stuff but we, we have to be out there in all conditions. and. Um, we say that our boats are a product of where we're our environment. Yeah. We're in the bottom of the South Island in the Southern Ocean, Fovo Strait, Stewart Island right on our doorstep. There's no better place to build a big water <laughs> boat or or test it. So and and there's not many people down there, so we can kinda do it on our own without anyone looking at us. Yep. So that's why we are we aren't like anybody else, because no one else does what we do. Yeah. No one um, else is crazy
1: enough. No. no. Yeah. Now <laughs> I like it. That seven year cycle, I like the idea of that. Aaron, because I have a fifteen fifty Fisher. Yeah, I've heard this. This has been—I think I've had this for five years now. So, has been that long? Uh, it has been. No. So I love my fifth because I drop it on the beach. It's gone quick. It's bulletproof. Uh, it's a, It's a wonderful. Little boat. Are there updates coming for that? You can you can shed light on or are they still under embargo? Or like
0: uh, when you look uh, through the range, like how we've got a few eyes going here to Tony over the side here. Am I
2: allowed to say Am I allowed? Am I not? <laughs> Just going to create more work for him. <laughs> I
0: think that's a great thing. Uh, he's what done I,
2: nothing all day today. What I can say is that boat's been nearly in the market for seven years. Yep, beautiful, Aaron. <laughs> that's um, I'm reading
1: between the lines there. Yeah,
2: you can. Yeah, you, you guys are good at math, say, hey, over here in Australia. <laughs> um, oh, you're talking to two of them that probably aren't
1: great.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's going to get uh, some updates in the um, in the new year, let's say. You've got, um, him, you've got him standing here, Patrick. He's, he's got, he doesn't know. All I needed was a yes that okay, there's going to be a few updates. He's happy with the yeah, answer. Yeah, it's not going to be dramatically different, yep. but we've taken a lot of feedback from a lot of end users and, and dealers as well. They're... they're actually really important to contributing to the development of our product we have a really strong dealer network that represent our brand and so we take that on board and we've been working away um yeah so it's about as much as i can say i think (laughs) looking at tony's great laugh going (laughs) on here you can see this right now um shaking his head yeah yeah no, he's, he's cutting me off. <laughs>
1: hey, uh, we really appreciate your time this morning on uh, on Real Adventures, Paul. It's been uh, wonderful to talk to you about the the research and development that goes into Staby Craft, and uh, we we both know. Aaron having owned own one and I still own one I, I love my little 1550 it's a terrific boat so
2: we really appreciate your time oh no you're more than welcome and um, it's great to meet you guys and um, yeah I was, I was over here on holiday so you really you we really roped him me. in yeah, the yeah. missus
0: is standing over there shaking her head
1: get out of there stop talking boat so we'll let him go Patrick Paul Flatt managing uh, D- design manager and adventure engineer at Staby Craft Marine you're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood Welcome back to Real Adventures. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning, as we do each and every week on the show, to talk, well, fishing, boating, and
0: the great outdoors. It's time for Red's Tip. It was going to be a review, Patrick, and we spoke about it last week, and I'm sorry it's been downgraded. Seakeeper. Oh, yes. It's been downgraded. It's been downgraded to a tip, but when I it's first been upgraded spoke in my brain socks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was absolutely blown away by this thing and this is not a sponsorship thing this is no alignment whatsoever
1: so for those of you unaware what sea keeper is it is essentially a a big box with a gyrosphere inside of it what's a gyrosphere well it's like a we don't know <laughs> it's a weighted sphere that counteracts yep. the movement of the boat so when you travel out in the boat, you're at rest, and you know plenty of boats are, are, are tippy at rest. You put a few people to one side, and the boat tilts and moves, etc. Now, what this does is alleviate that, and it's blowing you away.
0: My example was I was standing up on the upper deck of the on the, of the at the boat show. I was right right up high, looking over the water, and I was watching these people get on, thinking, "What are they doing here?" And they had about four or five people on this boat on one side. Now we're trying to sink it, and they were getting close to getting the edge of this boat over the side, and then. They were going as hard as they physically could getting this thing over. It's leaning, it's rocking. And that old mate just presses some sort of magic button and this thing just goes, Bang. boom. And I'm looking at it and the five blokes are jumping and carrying on and trying to push this thing to the side. And nothing. And it didn't move. Like, and I'm not exaggerating. It didn't move. It did not move in the slightest. And I've just looked at it and gone... How the hell is that possible? Like, how does it work? And I'm blown away. And I, I was actually meaning to go down there and ask them to explain things to me. And I just ran out of time. It was a very busy show for us. And I was honestly blown away. And they like the magic this, tricks with the chicken in the balloon. That was more exciting. <laughs> but no, seriously, if you get seasick or if you don't like the rock of boats, I know it's a lot of money, but if you can afford this, it's around that thirty k mark, give or take. Mate, everything in boating, like is, there's a reason it's,
1: that boat stands to yeah. bring out another thousand, is I, expensive. I, but, but this, phenomenal,
0: absolutely yeah. phenomenal. I, 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 honest to god, I had no idea how this thing works, and I still don't. And it, and it, I, I was blown away watching these blokes, and they were big boys. And, and the reason I was watching them, I actually knew the boys that were on it. Like yeah. that's how I knew them. So yeah. it wasn't set up. It was a few guys from down my way, and I'm looking at them going, "What the hell are those boys doing? Like, are they going to sink this thing? And then they didn't. They couldn't." Well, more and more boat,
1: boating manufacturers, they're building their boats now so they can accommodate these that sit flooded yep. or
0: underneath your flooring um, because people are happy to spend it well if you get seasick and I think when I, to be honest with you when I'm out I've done a lot of charters in my, in my time and I've done a lot of stuff on the ocean in my time and I've had a lot of people offer me a lot of money to take them in when they're sick and I reckon up towards that yeah, $30,000 mark there's nothing not- worse than being seasick, seasick <laughs> so if you get seasick and you're one of those people that go on a charter and offer $30,000 to take you in because you're dying you feel correct. like it, uh, it'd be worth an invest- a consideration or an invest- to an investment if you are looking at purchasing a boat
1: well feeling sick this leads me to this week's flying gaff, and I don't like doing this,
0: Redmond. No, you, you don't, and no. I do know what this one is. and uh, I don't like doing it. It actually takes a lot of the blame off me, so I actually enjoy the fact that you do do this, but you've seen but, it for your own eyes. Yeah, I was very
1: disappointed in Queenscliff um, and their dry storage facility because I've had my boat there for the past 12 months, and the gaff goes to them this week because so often when you bring the boat in, put it in with um, the... Fork. Well, the fork, but once we put it in, the boat's got the fenders on side to protect the, the side of the boat. But it's like pretty much every time it's been stored, and sometimes overnight, because they obviously ran out of time, so they put it Oh, on.
0: and we get it put in the night before, so we Correct. can use it early hours of the morning.
1: But they have not put it in the side that the fenders are on. and or right. literally reached yep. over and put the fenders down. Um, and the scuffing that's occurred on the side of my boat, geez, it's pissed me off.
0: Yeah, and I'm with you
1: there. It's seven grand a year, seven and a half grand a year to store a boat there. Yep. It's not that difficult to look after it properly.
0: And, and, and i have not pumping my tyres up covering my backside here, but I've taken videos of all this because I, as someone that was using your boat regularly, like, I felt guilty because all these marks were coming up on the side. And you can't do these marks by hitting a pier. It's from, it's from constant... And they do a great rubbing. job for so many things, but the, the guys there, they need to lift their
1: game around how they care for boats, particularly when you spend a huge amount of time uh, and sorry, money. a huge amount of money on storage. So a bit of a sound note to end the show, but we hope you've enjoyed it. No, it's um, what the
0: gaff's for. Well, exactly
1: right, the kill gaff. It's, it's a, a gaff shot. Now we go catch fish. Exactly. Uh, we'll see you on the water. This has been Real Adventures.
0: Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why Tire Power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely, and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply, so visit TyrePower.com.au or call 132191.